It's Monday, May the 10th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, America declares an emergency after ransomware attack, and the EU ditches AstraZeneca. First, the world in brief. America declared a state of emergency to respond to the cyber attack that shut down Colonial Pipeline, its largest artery for refined fuels on Friday. The declaration allows the expedited transport of gasoline, diesel, jet fuel and more on national highways across 17 states, linking Texas to New York and Florida. Ordinarily, the pipes carry 2.5 million barrels a day, 45% of the East Coast supply. Fuel prices jumped 4% on Sunday. Darkseid, a cybercrime gang, has been accused of prompting the crisis with a quote ransomware attack, i.e. a demand for money in return for the release of stolen data. The European Union declined to renew its order for AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine, two weeks after the bloc launched legal proceedings against the company for allegedly failing to deliver the doses promised in their contract. The EU has instead agreed to a contract extension with Pfizer, which allows for 1.8 billion doses to be provided by the end of 2023. Sir Keir Starmer, the leader of Britain's opposition Labour Party, responded to disappointing results in local elections and one parliamentary by-election by reshuffling his cabinet. Labour's Sadiq Khan beat a Conservative challenger to be re-elected as Mayor of London. In Scotland, parties supporting independence did well, prompting Nicola Sturgeon, the country's first minister, to declare that she, quote, wouldn't rule out another referendum soon. South Sudan's president, Salva Kiir, dissolved the country's parliament in accordance with the peace deal signed in 2018. The agreement, which brought an end to five years of civil war, states that almost a quarter of MPs should come from the party of Riek Machar, Mr Kiir's former enemy. Mr Kiir's party will retain a majority when the new parliament is formed. America's navy seized an armed shipment of thousands of weapons apparently bound for Yemen, which were hidden on board a ship in the Arabian Sea. An unnamed government official told the Associated Press that the boat came from Iran. America has repeatedly accused the Islamic Republic of harming Houthi rebels in Yemen, a claim that Iran denies. The death toll from an explosion on Saturday near a school in Kabul, Afghanistan's capital, rose to 68. At least 165 people were injured. Many of the casualties are schoolgirls. The attack, for which no one has claimed responsibility, took place in a district that is home to many Hazaras a Shia ethnic minority. Violence has been increasing ahead of the withdrawal of American and Allied forces in September. Police in the Maldives arrested three men suspected of trying to assassinate Mohamed Nasheed, a former president, the country's first to be democratically elected, and climate change activist. Mr Nasheed was severely injured on Thursday by a bomb planted on a motorbike. Police are calling the incident a terrorist attack undertaken by, quote, religious extremists. And fact of the day. Demand for medical cadavers in Britain exceeds supply. American imports could cost an arm and a leg. Instead, a head costs about $500 and a foot $350. And now here's today's agenda. Eyes only for EU. India's Prime Minister. On Saturday, Narendra Modi made a virtual appearance in Portugal to join a summit of the European Union and its 27 member states. India and the EU, styling themselves as, quote, the world's two largest democracies, agreed to resume trade talks that stalled eight years earlier. 
The two giants are realigning to counter China's ascendant role in global trade and to jointly confront climate change. Yet the spectre of mass death stalking India overshadows everything else. The rampant spread of COVID-19 broke new records on Sunday, scoring more than 400,000 new cases for a fourth consecutive day and killing nearly 4,100 people. Being radical undercounts, such daily statistics hardly comprehend the actual scale of the crisis. What becomes more striking is that Mr Modi is making no visible effort of his own. Days pass without any remark. Friends and foes alike are left to wonder what is behind the eerie hush. Unholy Conflicts Jerusalem Day Jerusalem Day is always a tense affair. Israel celebrates today as a holiday to mark the city's reunification. Palestinians see the annual march of nationalist Jews as a provocation. But the atmosphere is worse than normal this year, after a weekend of protests in which nearly 300 Palestinians and more than a dozen police officers were injured. Tens of thousands of worshippers gathered at Al-Aqsa Mosque on Saturday, the holiest night of Ramadan. But police blocked busloads of Muslims on their way to the mosque, citing unrest in the neighbouring Sheikh Jarrah district. There, protesters clashed with police ahead of a court ruling on whether Palestinian families can be evicted to make way for Jewish settlers. Their day before the Supreme Court, scheduled for today, was postponed until June. The conflict could soon spill over into other febrile areas, such as Gaza. Israel's Prime Minister and Palestine's President are providing little in the way of leadership. With another protest due today, Jerusalem is on the brink of chaos. Praying for a miracle. Argentina's debts. Alberto Fernandez, Argentina's beleaguered president, kicks off his European tour this week. He will meet the leaders of France, Italy, Portugal and Spain to beg for more time to repay Argentina's enormous debts. The country, led by an increasingly unpopular Mr Fernandez, owes $2.4 billion to the Paris Club, a group of government lenders, and a record $45 billion to the International Monetary Fund. Mr Fernandez argues that the debt is unpayable in current conditions, i.e. the pandemic. To help his case, he is seeking support from his country's most hallowed son, Pope Francis. Argentina's economy minister, Martin Guzman, will also visit the Vatican to lobby Cristalina Georgieva, the IMF's chief, before they both attend a seminar with the Pope. The politicians are nervous ahead of Argentina's monthly inflation figure released on Thursday, which is forecast to show inflation heading towards 50% this year. That's almost double the government's target and another headache for Mr Fernandez. Gorging on Green Chinese Renewable Energy Today, China's Three Gorges Corporation, a state-owned enterprise that operates the world's largest hydroelectric dam by installed capacity, starts selling shares in its wind and solar-powered subsidiary. The proceeds, which could reach 22.5 billion yuan, $3.5 billion, will help fund seven new offshore wind projects as the company prepares to list on the Shanghai Stock Exchange. The public offering will come on the back of a banner year for Chinese renewable energy. The country installed roughly twice as much green energy capacity in 2020 as in 2019. In September, President Xi Jinping promised that China would be carbon neutral by 2060. Yet China has hardly been able to wean itself off fossil fuels. It bought three times as much coal power into operation last year, as did the rest of the world combined. (music) 
Profiting from pain. The crime of the century. Last month, Patrick Radden Keith, a journalist at The New Yorker, published Empire of Pain. The book, which grew out of an article of 2017, chronicled the Sackler family's involvement in the pharmaceuticals business, first by marketing Valium and later by launching OxyContin, an opioid medication twice as strong as morphine. The painkiller raised $35 billion in revenue and made the family enormously wealthy. The name adorns many prestigious institutions. Half a million Americans have overdosed on opioids since 1999, and Purdue Pharma, which manufactured OxyContin, will pay $8.3 billion in penalties for its role in the crisis. Mr. Rannan Keith is one of the experts featured in The Crime of the Century, a new two-part documentary on HBO. Alex Gibney, an award-bedecked filmmaker, explores the unethical means by which OxyContin was approved, released and prescribed. It is a sobering tale of human suffering and human greed. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Alexander Smith, who passed away on January 5th, 1867. We bury love. Forgetfulness grows over it like grass. That is a thing to weep for, not the dead. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.